In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It was just last Thursday that I preached here on the Reformation when we had our Schola Cantorum service here, all the children gathered and singing. Every year on the Reformation, I choose some event, ever since 2017, that is, when everyone focused on the 95 Theses. I choose one event to commemorate that happened 500 years earlier. And we did that last Thursday. Well, as is sometimes the case on Wednesday, I have to preach an old sermon. But in the, because I'm not done with my sermon for Sunday, but in the process of preparing it, I laid out and outlined and reminded everyone what events we've been studying. And, and as I, every year in the Reformation, and as I did that, I noticed that, well, of course, I wasn't here in 2018. So today, I commend to you a sermon I preached to the saints in Clinton, Iowa. What is that, six years, five years ago? on uh, Reformation Sunday then. And to that end, we hear our gospel lesson from John chapter 8. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Let us pray. Holy Father, sanctify us by your word. Your word is truth. Amen. So last October, it was five years ago, six years ago, that we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Lutheran Reformation, when on October 31st, All Hallows' Eve, 1517, Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the castle door in Wittenberg, Germany. And he did this to invite public debate on the sale of indulgences which had become a well-known scandal throughout the church. The otherwise unremarkable event sparked many events afterwards. A great controversy erupted throughout Germany and all of Christendom with the unassuming Augustinian friar caught in the middle of it. Martin Luther would spend the rest of his life defending the gospel from all sorts of vicious attacks from every angle as he taught it the truth in a simple manner to Christ's sheep. He did not choose to be a reformer, but God chose him. We thank God for having called and guided this faithful servant to discover and proclaim the truth of Holy Scripture. For through his labors, God brought, God brought to light the pure doctrine of Christ our Savior, which had been so long hidden in the darkness of the papacy. Although God used his servant Martin Luther, the Lutheran Reformation was in truth God's reformation, since it was God's word that did the reforming. We call ourselves Lutheran because Luther correctly taught God's word. 
But it is not Luther's church. It is Christ's church. Christ cares for his church by sending faithful servants to teach the word of God. That's all Luther intended to be. And that's what we thank God he was. The word Lutheran was originally used as an insult against those who did not submit to the Pope's authority, as though to say to those who embraced the gospel that they were simply following the teachings of a mere man. Ironically, it was actually just the opposite. It was Luther who refused to submit to the Pope's authority over Scripture. So do we, or anyone else's authority either. We won't submit to those who contradict God's word. We are subject to scripture alone and not to anyone's private interpretation, as St. Peter himself warns us. We, but the Pope claims to have the sole authority to interpret the Bible. He is the true charismatic, the one who claims to have in the shrine of his heart the sole ability to tell you what God means when he speaks clearly in his word. But since God is the author of scripture, it is God alone who has the authority to interpret. In other words, only scripture can interpret itself. This is what Luther let scripture do. It was not long before the name Lutheran was embraced as an honor by those who had learned the true doctrine of holy scripture. And that is because the true church is known by what it teaches, not by some label. Martin Luther taught God's word. He placed himself under scripture as a humble student. Since God's word is clear and the Holy Spirit does not mumble, we are able to confess its truth today. The head of the church is Christ, not the bishop in Rome, not anyone else. Much less is Luther the head of the Lutheran church. No. But since we learn Christ's word in Luther's small catechism, and since it is Christ's doctrine that is explained and defended in the Augsburg Confession and all the other confessions in the Book of Concord, when we call ourselves Lutheran, we're not adhering to a personality cult. We are rather simply confessing Christ. And Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The Greek word for free is Eleutheros. For a while, Luther, since everyone was knew Latin and Greek in the academic world and they'd show off, Melanchthon's name was Schwarzgat, and he changed it to the Greek black earth, Melanchthon. It was a fancy thing to do. So, what Luther would do is he turned it into a clever pun and he'd sign his name Eleutheros, which is Greek for free. Take that, Pope. As Lutherans, we make bold to acknowledge Christ alone as the Lord and Savior of his body, the church, of which we, by his infinite grace, have been called to be members. It is not possible for Christ alone to remain our only Lord and Savior if Holy Scripture alone does not also remain the only source and judge of what Christ would have us believe. Abide in my word, Jesus says. We have to know what his word is, and we do know what that word is. We have been called to be his disciples and to know the truth. In holy baptism, Christ put his name on us and set us free from sin, death, and the power of the devil. If bearing the name Lutheran means that we profess to believe what Christ has taught us to believe in the Bible, and that's what it means to call yourself a Lutheran, well then so be it. To God alone be the glory. 
If it is not Luther's, Luther's doctrine, well, it is Christ's who taught it to Luther. We're not Lutheran because we agree to obey some arbitrary list of rules and policies. We're not known by our polity as the church, how we govern ourselves, or even how we worship. Listen to my sermon on Sunday, and you'll learn a little bit more about that, though. No, but we're Lutherans because we believe the gospel. The church submits to Jesus and receives his blessings by believing what Jesus teaches, by receiving what he graciously gives in his word and sacraments, period. We willingly bear the name Lutheran because we believe what God's word teaches us and will turn any insult into an honor. Even after half a millennium, God continues to bless and preserve his holy church throughout the world through the work of our much-beloved and highly gifted teacher, Dr. Martin Luther. And this is why Luther has long been associated with the angel of Revelation 14. This is why those were the, the traditional lessons for Reformation Day. The angel who preaches the everlasting gospel, saying, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. The hour of God's judgment is the hour when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity. This is how scripture speaks. God's word is a judgment. It is not stuff of academic speculation, nor is it mere inspiration for those looking to be moved. God's word is God's own self-revelation. Through his word, God confronts sinners the hour of God's judgment is now. Right now, God confronts you. What do you make of his judgment? He is righteous. You are not. And he's speaking to you. What do you say back? These were the questions that troubled Luther, that he wrestled with, and that urged him on in his quest to find a gracious God as he poured through the pages of Holy Writ, but the more he read, the more he was confronted with his own unworthiness, his unrighteousness, his sin. God's word is a judgment. Isaiah says, For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Isaiah 26. But this is precisely what tortured young Luther. He had heard God's judgments. God had confronted him. But what he learned about righteousness left him without peace and afraid of God, even to hate God. He learned what was lacking in himself. It was this verse in Romans chapter 1 that brought him particular angst. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Luther had been taught to believe that the righteousness of God referred to God's inherent righteousness, the righteousness by which he condemned sinners and confronted them and judged them and held them to a higher standard. He knew that he himself was not righteous. So the judgment of God's righteousness brought no consolation. It would destroy him. It would reveal how unrighteous he himself was. Of course, he was not ashamed of the gospel, but he was ashamed of himself. He knew 
he fell short of the righteousness of the law. He knew his sin and that he was hopelessly enslaved to it. And now, to make matters worse, the gospel also showed him how far he was from being righteous. And he longed to be justified. Now, English makes something of a mess with this word, justified, because you don't see the word righteous in the word justified. Justified comes from the Latin for to make righteous, and righteous is a Germanic word. Luther was taught to believe that the gospel was the power of God to save because it was the power that God gave the gospel, by which he gave power to sinners to become more and more righteous. No one could become righteous by the law. Oh, no. Even the Roman Catholic Pope knew enough to deny that. Romans 3, our epistle lesson, makes that clear. By the law is the knowledge of sin. It makes us guilty before God. By the deeds of the law, no one will be justified. And the Pope says that's right. And Luther knew it, of course. But by the gospel, Luther had been taught by the Pope. By the gospel, God gave sinners the power to become obedient. By the deeds of the gospel, the sinner was to become righteous. But try as he might, Luther could not rid himself of the sin he was afraid of. The more he tried, the deeper he fell. The more he resented God for trying to help, but not being able to. That was the living hell he sang of. So the 500th anniversary of the Reformation was a big deal in 2017. You all remember that? And celebrating the 506th anniversary seems less significant. But it was actually five years ago, in 2018, that Luther became a Lutheran. Because when Luther wrote the 95 Theses, you can even read them and see that he's still not quite clear, but he's, he's hammering down, no pun intended, he's hammering down on certain topics and concerns he has about repentance. But it wasn't until about a year later, right around this time, 506 years ago, that the phrase, the righteousness of God, finally became clear to him. While reading for the millionth time these words, the just shall live by faith, Luther finally realized that the righteousness of the just was not a righteousness inside himself, it was not a righteousness that the gospel empowers us to produce. It is a righteousness that is given to faith. The righteous person shall live by faith. This means that faith receives the righteousness of Christ as a free gift in the gospel, as a judgment about you. And justify also doesn't mean make righteous. It does in Latin. But in the language of Holy Scripture, Greek, it means to declare righteous. And so the Latin word for make righteous was used when translating. But to declare righteous is a judgment from his heart to you. God judges us righteous. Not on account of our own obedience to the law or even to some gospel rules. No, but for the sake of Jesus who fulfilled the law for us by his holy life and innocent death. He died for sinners and rose again with glory in order to forgive sinners and credit to them his own righteousness. This is the gospel. Christ is the propitiation for sin. This means that he absorbs all God's wrath in our place on the cross so that he might 
reveal God's grace to sinners. This is the gospel, and this is why we should not be ashamed of it. This is why it is the power of God to save us. And Luther's eyes were open when he realized this, and he realized it by studying Scripture. They were opened by this basic distinction that Scripture teaches between the law and the gospel. Luther discovered this distinction by learning from God's word in the Bible. The law kills, the gospel makes alive. Or as we've learned in the Psalms, the gospel quickens. The law makes threats, the gospel makes promises. The law tells you what you must do. The gospel tells you what Christ has done and gives you what is his. The law must do its work because Christ came to save sinners and only sinners. He came to free slaves and only slaves. If the law does not do its work, then sinners will continue to rely on a righteousness inside themselves and will turn their noses at the righteousness that is freely given in the gospel promise. The gospel falls flat in the ears of those who don't believe they need to be freed from their sins. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Never mind their poor grasp of history. See how those deny, who deny that they are slaves respond to the gospel. Luther took Jesus' answer to heart who said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a, slave, a sin is a slave to sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Luther committed sin. He knew his heart, that it was full of sin and that he could not rid himself of it. In fact, this was his first step to discovering the true meaning of the gospel. And it is God's first step in you to teach you to believe it. God kills in order that he might make alive again. The death and resurrection of Jesus demonstrates this clearly. Hear the requirements of the law. Fear God and give him glory, the angel sings. The hour of his judgment has come. Have you loved God with your whole heart? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Have you, have you placed fleeting entertainment more highly than hearing God's word? Have you brought into competition your duty to be saved from your sin and to hear the absolution? What, your higher duty to fulfill some other obligation? Or have you put your own desire for pleasure above the needs or comforts of your husband or wife or a brother in Christ who needed a friend or above your own chastity by which you might one day serve one who will depend on you? Your shortcomings that you are ashamed of, the ones that happen in your mind, the ones that you have done with your own body, the shortcomings and mistakes and failures that would that you would like to make up for by turning over a new leaf. They're not mere mistakes. The fact that no one is perfect is no comfort, for there is one who is, and his word is pure judgment on the whole world. So hear his word. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. This freedom, this eleutheria, if you remember that word, is not the freedom of letting bygones be bygones.
nor is it the freedom of having improved yourself. It is the freedom of having as a sure possession the righteousness that passes God's judgment. It is the full and free righteousness of Christ with which you are able not just to stand before God on the last day, but with which you are able to approach God in confidence even now, knowing that your sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake and that you are clothed in Christ's righteousness as his own child and heir. It is the righteousness that you boast in. It is the righteousness with which you face each other unashamed, repentant perhaps, speaking apologies, but expecting none, nothing less from God's fellow children than the forgiveness of sins and the encouragement that we all need from our brothers and sisters. A son abides in the house forever. Judgment begins in the house of God among us. And so hear with one another God's judgment. He frees you from sin by bearing it himself. Luther discovered this by abiding in the words of Christ, and so we too remain Christ's disciples who know the truth that sets us free. This is the eternal gospel. It is eternal because it reveals the heart of God as it has been since long before he made us. It is eternal because it reveals his heart until kingdom come, when he will rescue his church from all sin and trouble and welcome his household home. It is eternal because his eternal son has fulfilled it and proclaimed it, even now calls you to believe it. And in eternity unto eternity, we will thank him for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And the peace of God.